Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Today, we're going to jump right in talking to Summer Terry of Superior Therapy in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Summer has for 16 years been working with massage therapy and various therapies that help both horse and rider. Summer is also the host of May the Horse Be With You podcast. Welcome, Summer. You know, for me, I'm facing with a horse that had minimal symptoms. He was tested because he lost a herd mate to EPM. So now he's been treated since October. He seems to, the things that I didn't realize were EPM were like he wasn't, it looked like maybe he had stifle problems, but really what Mm -hmm. it was is he wasn't flexing his pasterns at all. So he would walk and that whole ankle pasture just wouldn't flex. It would just go forward and sit down. And um, he's a, a real tall leggy draft cross and I thought, well, he gets pacey sometimes. Maybe that's what that was. But now that he's been treated, he doesn't do it anymore. Right. That was probably one of the ways he was affected that I just didn't realize. And he wasn't able to, you know, maintain the canter to the left when he used to be able to do that. You know, just different things that came up. Like, But now, you know, it's Wisconsin. It's, it's March. Things are thawing out. And I'm thinking it's probably time to get back to working him. But this is all new to me. I mean, you're very versed in EPM. And as an owner, and I know there's there's a lot of other people listening to this that are facing EPM and trying to bring a horse back for the first time. And I wonder, like, you know, is it is it good to work him or is it is it not? And but I'm just wondering, how does the water therapy help? Are we reconnecting things that were damaged because there there was swelling you know in their brain I mean I completely ignorant about this but I was talking to my husband about it and I thought well is this kind of like a stroke victim coming back because part of this function was lost like that connection to where is my leg yes and a lot of times I use that analogy um just because that's something that people can relate to is is understanding to some degree what somebody goes through with a stroke. But a lot of it is retraining those nerve pathways. So it is a neurologic disease, breaking down neurologic, we know that that means, okay, that's affecting the nervous system of the horse. Again, then we have the kind of muscle strain that we see as well. Anytime that you've got any sort of nerve damage, that means you have, um, like I kind of explain it to people like, an electrical board, like you've got all these circuits that are running through there. And, you know, if you have a wire that's short circuiting, it can take the whole board down. What we see with those horses a lot of times is you either have decreased sensation. So like, you know, like I may take a hoof pick or an ink pen or something, something that's sharp and go test that horse around the coronet band. And you have, you know, a horse that, say, has some right-sided issue that they just have no sensation at all. And, I mean, you can literally be poking them as hard as you want with that pin, and they never move. And you walk around to the other side and poke the coronet band, and, of course, they immediately pick their foot up, like, why are you poking me? Mm-hmm. And so, in that case, that, that tells me that the horse would decrease sensation. And then on the flip side of that, we get these horses that become 
super heightened and, and oversensitive. So either way we're working at it, basically what we're trying to do is get those nerve pathways to reconnect. That way we can correct those gait imbalances. And so, you know, like whenever they go in the water, basically like using the aqua pacer, we're just using the resistance. We're, we're using the resistance and making them think about what they're doing. We can also really control their movements in there. That's where it has the advantage because I can control so much of the situation. For the general horse owner, it, you know, again, like the first one I rehabbed was, was not using any of my fancy equipment. You just have to remember to go at things slowly. Like I feel like the biggest mistake that horse owners make is, you know, they throw their horse on treatment and their horse gets gets to feeling better and they're like, oh, you know, he's running in the pasture, he feels better. And they go right back to riding at the same intensity where they left off. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what they forget is it's, again, this is a neurologic disease, but it's also a muscle wasting disease. So you can have a horse that doesn't lose a lot of top line and that doesn't really look unhealthy, but they still don't have that muscle function. Um, you know, it would be the difference in, like in humans, you know, you have the person that's just a thin person, and then you have the person that is thin because they're an athlete and a runner. Mm -hmm. You can't expect two body types that are similar to be able to do the same amount of um, athletic activity because the one person isn't conditioned for it where the athlete obviously is. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I try to stress to my owners is it's like, okay, you can't just pick up after treatment like where you left off. You've got to go back and you've got to retrain that postural muscle or that stabilizing muscle because if you don't do that, then your fast twitch muscle or what, what's typically called your gymnastic muscle has to take over and it works it has to work that much harder because you don't have the muscle that's supposed to stabilize your joints and stabilize your spine. And that's kind of your foundation of the house. And so, you know, again, everybody gets so worried about getting cardio back in their horse and, and especially in like the barrel industry, you know, they're just like, Oh, we got to get, we got a long trot and get my horse back to running. And it's like, okay, if your horse doesn't know where his feet are to walk, adrenaline is going to help whenever he's going faster, but that's not going to prevent you from having an accident from not going all the way back to the foundation and putting those pieces together first. And, and so that's where a lot of like the, the slow exercise comes in of um, like, I have an exercise that, that we call our perfect circle. Um, which is one that's um, from Jack's book. Now, I do mine a little bit differently um, where I have my horses on about an eight to nine foot circle where they really have to flex up. And, I, you know, I just really analyze their movement in that circle and I, I ask them to bend at the rib cage. And then once they can do that, then I ask them to take that same exercise and go to an incline with it. And the reason I like working so much on inclines is it tells you how weak your hind end is. Um, so like a horse that can't collect up and hold themselves at a walk or a trot on an incline, they're not going to be able to do it under any force of speed or with a rider typically. And so that's kind of one of the first places that we start them back finding their feet is kind of just driving them in a circle on that incline. And, and I find that that works really, really well. Our other mare named Grace, she did have some other things going on. And one of it, 
showed up when we would ask her to back up on the ground. It was just kind of testing how is she today. And she would really swing her left leg out a lot. Mm -hmm. Then it was suggested by Dr. Crosby and a listener of the podcast to try Carbo Combo. She's been Uh on that for, I think, two and a half weeks now. And keep in mind, she'd been treated with chemicals for EPM for months before that. And she just almost seemed to be worse or not not improving. And we started her on this. And it might be a coincidence, but, you know, every morning, every night, I back her up to check to see, you know, where her, if she kind of knows where her legs are. Because with her front legs, she seems like maybe she doesn't sometimes. But since she's mm-hmm. been on this, she is backing almost normal now. And that's awesome. I am not sure why. <laughs> I just went off of the recommendation of people who have had experience with this and thought, okay, we'll try. But that was a common exercise I see mentioned on EPM groups a lot is backing up. And can you address that and why having them back is a good exercise or or is it not a good exercise? Oh, no, it, it definitely is. The thought process with doing the backing is by is building the glutes. And so what we see a lot in these EPM horses is they have that muscle wasting over the hip and the glute area. Well, whenever you start to lose your glute, you tend to, the stifle joint itself will end up kind of taking the brunt of that. And also too, those horses will typically get sore in their back and in their lumbar region because whenever they go to move forward, you want those glutes to fire and engage, which helps to kind of push that leg and push that horse forward. And when you also have weak glutes, you also see horses that will typically dump on their front end. Mm -hmm. So like you'll have horses that get tight in the shoulders or even sometimes like their, the shape of their hooves will change. My mare, for instance, she started to almost develop a club foot on one side. Basically it was from her overloading that front because of the diagonal. Mm -hmm. The diagonal hind was so weak that she had to disperse that pressure somewhere. And so it ended up going onto that front foot. And so as we got her hind end strengthened back, we were able to fix that unlevelness. And she went from wearing a wedge to being able to go back barefoot, just like she was before she got EP. That's awesome. And so, yeah, whenever you lose that muscle that stabilizes, then everything else kind of falls apart with Mm -hmm. it. Um, and the core goes along with that as well. So you, your glutes and your core work good, work together. Um, you know, if your glutes are firing, but your core is weak, something has to take up the slack, and it's usually the muscles in the top of the back. And so then you come up with this back pain because your core wasn't strong enough to take that action. And so whenever we back these horses, it strengthens the glutes. It also to some degree will help with your sacrum alignment because if you have a horse that that is weak in the hip, that pelvis has a tendency to want to kind of tip forward, um, which again puts pressure on the back and lets the core fall and not be quite as strong. And so whenever we do our backing exercises, that causes that core to tuck up and those glutes to fire and engage. It also Uh, takes and relieves pressure off of like your psoas that runs into the back because so many of those muscles um, 
will disengage in the back whenever you're going backwards. So you you unload some of those muscles that may be trying to overcompensate and that they're, that they're staying loaded and tight all the time. And like things that I tell people to remember whenever you're doing backing, you know, you don't want them to just fly backwards like they're setting back. But at the same time, if that horse is dragging their toes backwards or like they're swaying whenever they back instead of kind of backing with like a purpose, mm-hmm. you're not going to build any fitness. You know, like if you're backing your horse across your yard and they're just scraping their feet the entire time and never engaging and picking them up, they may not be ready for that. You may have to do some of the pole work and things like that going forward first before you can ask them to go backwards. Once you get them kind of advanced, so ask them to like, you know, back up and over a log or something that's not going to roll out from under them that they know is going to stay there. Um, I find it doesn't work very well with like PVC, but like we will use um, like corner posts. Mm -hmm. And I find that it works really well with that to make them back up and over. So Summer, it sounds like actually whether it's groundwork or work back under saddle, if a horse has EPM, it sounds like maybe the worst thing we could do is just stop working them at all. You're saying is we should be doing some ground exercises with them. If they're stable enough, we should try to get them back under saddle and just gauge their maybe their recovery or how many minutes we work them and then build up from there. Yes, and I typically recommend to start on the ground rather than in the saddle just because there again, it takes a whole nother set of strength in that muscle to be able to just carry a rider, even even a rider that's not heavy. I recommend starting with like just on a lunge line or like a long lead rope and, and reteaching that movement. This is where like my opinion as a body worker and, and somebody that does rehab may differ from some of the vet. I, again, I work a lot with Dr. Crosby, so he kind of knows what my program is. Here are a lot of vets that are like, oh no, let's just, you know, just turn them out and treat them. Well, the thing is, Yes, your your medication is, is helping the EPM, but you're going to have two things working against you if that horse is just standing out there doing nothing because, one, EPM is a muscle-wasting disease, but two, uh, we know from a fitness perspective that, you know, if you don't keep muscle conditions, you lose it anyway. So a perfectly sound horse turned out in the pasture is losing muscle every day. They don't have activity. And where a horse that's sound you know, they may run around and buck and play and and move all over their paddock. A horse that has EPM, typically, they're not very active. They're going to go to water. They're going to go to their food source. They're going to go to their favorite shade tree. And that's probably going to be their path for every single day. Right. The other thing to think about, too, is being able to correct some of those gait abnormalities Mm. while they're on treatment. So take a horse that's dragging their toe off that just has a refusal to pick their legs up. Again, I'm not putting any more stress on them if I'm just walking them through going over Cavaletti. Uh, Now, the things that I don't want, I don't want to overwork one. I don't want to work one to the point where they're sweaty and lathered up. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing any cardio with them. I don't want them to huff and puff and breathe hard. I'm just doing kind of horse yoga, if you will. It's just creating movement, but creating proper movement. You know, if I have a horse that I'm trying to lunge on the incline like that, and they're swinging their rear end and they're not engaging that glute and moving forward, I don't want to continue to let them swing the rear end. I've got to get them driving forward and and reteach them. And and so like, for example, I had a horse for a lady back in the summer 
that this horse was a finished feral horse. She could not get this horse to go to the left. You could lunge this horse right all day long, and he very obviously understood what he was being asked. And you would turn him to the left, and he would just almost light up like you had electrocuted him, and he would just run backwards. And so we ended up, the retraining process on this horse was, because obviously we couldn't lunge him because he wouldn't was, wasn't compliant with that, we ended up actually starting him in a stall just flexing his head to the left and then asking him to move forward and getting one step at a time, letting him step around in a stall where he couldn't run away. And then from there, we moved him out into the aisle of the barn. I basically used my lunge line and made a hip rope just like you would re-break a a baby horse to leak. And I would pull that hip rope and we, so then the next step was getting him in, you know, about a 15 foot aisle in our barn going in a circle. And then from there, we were able to go outside and I would kind of get him up against the fence and get him going. But, you know, for 30 days, that's what it took to get this horse to be able to actually turn to the left. You know, it was a long, slow process. And then whenever I would take him to the Cavalettis, like, you know, he couldn't judge the distance of how high it was. And so I'd have to go back to my hip rope and kind of drive him over. And to make a long story short, we had that horse for 60 days. And a lot of what I did was just groundwork and things outside. And he's back to running barrels. It's amazing. Yeah. And and it's time consuming. And one thing that, you know, like I have to make sure too, when I send them home is that my owners can, you know, that if they're paying me, I'm trying to get them worked through the Mm -hmm. hard part. Um, And sometimes it's just out thinking them and trying to figure out something that will work. Because I feel like so much of these horses, their demeanor changes yeah. drastically. I mean, we, we've had some that have come in that get really aggressive and are, are mean. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are very flighty, like the flight just takes over with them. And, and so, like, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt of, oh, they're not just being hard-headed. Like, they don't know what is being asked of them. And, and that was a, a lesson that I learned with my mare because when she needs treated, like she just, for lack of a better word, comes unbroke. Like she forgets how to side pass. Like you can't open a gate on her. Like all the things that you can normally do on this horse, it's just like she forgets all of it. That used to be my indicator. That's why it took me a little bit to pick up on it because she was so young when it first started happening. And she was not one that had a lot of muscle loss. It was just the come unbroke. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, she's just being a three-year-old and that was not the case at all. So probably I could have caught hers a little earlier than what I did, you know, had I had any, any more experience in that, but you know, that was almost eight years ago. So we, we've come a long way. I feel like in, in the experience and what we can do for these horses. Speaking of that summer, I wanted to ask you if you could just name off some red flags of EPM that maybe people wouldn't know. Like for us, we didn't realize frequent hoof abscesses and swallowing issues could be a sign of EPM. Some of the more bizarre signs that we see, um, one that we see a lot in Oklahoma, these these horses have an intolerance to the heat. And even horses that have been treated and, you know, are, are doing good or doing great, it seems to be these horses just don't handle extreme heat quite as well as a normal horse. So, you know, if you've got three horses standing out there in a paddock, two of them really have no sweat on them and one is just drenched in sweat, I would probably be searching for the reason why Mm -hmm. the one doesn't look like the others if everything else is the same. Um, Another thing that we, we see here in Oklahoma is these horses 
lose their ability to switch their skin to get rid of flies. So you'll see these horses that the flies are just fought to typically because they're also sweating more than the average horse. They will just be driven crazy by the fly. Head shyness is a big one. And, and of course, I know you talked about, you know, the swelling of, of the tongue and the mouth. Um, the choking is, is something that we see a lot as well. I also tend to see like almost swelling at the base of the ears. Right. Or sometimes you'll see swelling below the eyes also. And with those horses that have that, I notice that they get really, really head shy but also the ones that typically have the swelling below the ears, I have noticed noise bothers them. Um, like I had a horse in the barn that flipped over in, in our barn aisle, of all things. I had two baby ducks at the time. They had been around everywhere. And I mean, this horse had seen the ducks other days. This was not the first day that he had seen them. A particular day, those little baby ducks had just were going all around the aisle, just cheeping really, really loud. And I could see this horse starting to get agitated. And about the time I looked up and I told the girls, hey, he needs to go outside, he just all of a sudden blew up and, and flipped over off of the stall and landed on the floor. Like it was just this big dramatic thing. As soon as I, we took him out of the barn and he got away from that noise, hmm. he just took a big breath and then just stood there with his head hung really low and just relaxed. And, and that, that made me realize is like the noise of those little ducks just set him off. And so like, you know, that makes it really hard if, if you have a horse that you don't know has it and you're trying to go to a rodeo or you're trying to go somewhere, you know, where they've got a big loudspeaker or they're playing music. I think that's where a lot of times we see, like in our barrel horses, we see these alley problems and it's the noise that's getting on, kind of like a person having a headache. You know, if you've got a migraine and your head is killing you, the last thing you want to do is, mm -hmm. you know, listen to your children run screaming through the house. You just want to go somewhere where it's quiet. So what do you think is causing, we, one of our mares has that swelling under her ears and nobody's been able to tell me what it was from and her blood titers were at a thousand. So if she's been fully treated, that should go away? In, in theory, there's still some inflammation there and maybe it's firing in that, in the nerve kind of sometimes depends on where that EPM is in the spinal cord. Um, it may be nerve damage. Uh, we had a client that had a horse that had facial paralysis from having EPM and there was possibly some nerve damage to a pretty severe extent in that side of the face. And a lot of what we see, you know, is, is the muscle wasting in the rear end, but it doesn't always um, happen back there. I mean, like, you know, we, we do see some where they seem to have reasonably good strength in the hind end and it seems to have just settled in that neck and up towards the head. Um, on some of these horses that have that swelling, we use a lot of the kinesiology tape. You know, that that's something, too, that even horse owners, you know, now there's online courses where you can take and learn how to do the taping yourself. You know, that, that would be something that probably I would try on that particular horse um, or try doing, like, you know, some PEMF or even somebody that can do some really light touch body work and just see if that inflammation starts to go away. Uh, because most of the times we see it e eventually will go away, you know, obviously depending upon the severity of it. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of, of some more kind of bizarre things that we've seen, because I'm sure everybody kind of talks about, you know, the, the dull, lifeless coat and, and, and things like that. You know, those are those are pretty typical. But also, too, going back to the tongue song, we'll, we'll see a lot of them choke whenever they're trying to eat. You, you know, really, it's just a change in demeanor. 
like I said, we, we've had some be completely almost me, like to the, to the point of being dangerous. And then once they're treated, that subsides and, and you have a whole different horse. And so that's usually kind of my, my tip off whenever the owners are going, yeah, they just don't act like they used to, or, you know, he's always like this and all of a sudden now he doesn't things we see whenever they're hauling. So when I have a horse that comes into our facility and they pull this horse off the trailer and they have, you know, gray marks on them where I can tell they have really balanced in the trailer um, on the divider, I, I will almost always, that that's an indicator for me to check for muscle weakness or horses that all of a sudden don't haul well at all. You know, the owners will go, I don't know why he's not hauling well. And I said, it takes a it takes a, a specific set of muscles to even be able to stand up in the trailer as you're going down the road. And so then you have this muscle wasting disease that comes in there and these horses are fatigued and they're tired. And, you know, you have to have some tension in the body just to be geared up to handle going around curves or the stopping and starting, all, you know, all the things that come along with hauling mm-hmm. and, those horses are already fatigued because they're fighting the EPM and then you haul them a long distance and, you know, they just, they're completely exhausted or by the time you get there, they're mad and they're trying to kick the trailer. And um, so a lot of trailer loading issues we see that are resolved with treatment. So Summer, can you tell me a little bit about Superior Equine and your podcast 2019 when you started May the Horse Be With You? And also men- mention about your program that people can go through for therapy. Yes, our business name is Superior Therapy LLC. And then I also started the Association of Certified Equine Therapies. We have programs for the everybody from just the average horse owner to other professionals that are looking to widen their skill set. That was kind of one way of giving back to be able to help teach people, one, what to look for, uh, not obviously not just for EPM, but just muscle weakness in general and how to kind of detect areas of weakness that may lead to a potential injury. As much as I enjoy people sending horses to me, if I don't teach these owners how to maintain the results that they get following our program, I haven't done what's best for the horse. You know, in order for the horse to have a great career and a long life, I've got to help teach the owner as well. Yeah, with our and, and with Superior Therapy, we're we're a full service equine rehab center. Um, so we do everything from just general fitness and conditioning to post surgery stuff. Uh, obviously, working with EPM, we do a lot of soft tissue injuries, kissing spine surgery, and, and we treat all all breeds of horses here, um, all breeds, all disciplines. And so uh, we have a, our underwater treadmill. And then we have a cold water salt spa, and then we use like PMF, Theraplate. Everybody that works at our facility is an equine body worker or a human body worker or both. Um, there, there's a couple. There's me and another girl that we both work on, on people and horses. Because I feel like being able to address that muscle issue is extremely important. Because you can have horses that, you know, the vet looks at them and they're not lame, you know, on a scale of one to five, there's no lameness there, but the horse is not performing their best. And usually at that point, it becomes a 
fitness and conditioning issue. And so we go in and we partner with these vets and provide the full service as far as rehab goes. And I think that we're one of the few programs that actually do the corrective exercise outside because it's not just any one piece of equipment. You know, our our underwater treadmill is fabulous, but if you only do that, you haven't fit those muscles and have them conditioned to be able to go outside to the harder ground where you have concussion and things like that. There's no substitute for those old school exercises. And then, you know, being able to come in and do the regenerative therapy like the PEMF and, and stuff like that really, really helps. And so using the PMS helps keep them from getting too sore. And so like to me, it's just it's not just one thing. It's it's a full program. And, and that's what's important. So if somebody wanted to contact you about your services, how would they reach you? I will also put your information in the show notes. If somebody was listening now and just wanted to search for you, um, how would they reach out to you? Probably our, our easiest way to find find me is through Facebook and it's Superior Therapy LLC. Um, and then I also have a website, superiortherapyllc.com. I try to be out in the public as much as I can to, to help people because, I mean, that's, that's the whole reason I started this thing was just to be able to help horses and to be able to help people. Like, I've, I've been on both sides of the coin. You know, it's like I've, I've had the horses that everything was working great. And then I have a whole list of, of horses that I'm like, man, if I would have the knowledge I have now, I could have fixed that. You know, I understand what it's like to be completely defeated with going through a hard season. And I know what it's like to have everything to work correct. And and so that's part of the reason I like to educate. Can you tell me a little bit about May the Horse Be With You podcast? You have a bunch of podcast listeners listening now. So we might um, turn them on to a, a new podcast. Yeah. So everything that we do on that one is, is therapy based. And then, like I said, I started that in the fall of 2019. And sometimes I go through spells of being real consistent with it. And and sometimes there's a little bit of a time lapse between mm-hmm. episodes. But usually, even if I do like a Facebook Live, I mm-hmm. will try to go ahead and jump it over to the podcast because I realize people like to listen to those when they're going down the road. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I try to have just like a common sense approach to therapy. It, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, I, I try to just keep things really simple and provide good information. So as we wrap it up, do you have any parting advice for a horse owner who maybe is newly diagnosed or a horse that maybe they said, okay, you're retired now. We know you had EPM and they just put them out to pasture. Do you have any advice? For, for sure. Where, where do you think they should go to next? Maybe they want to give that horse a, a second chance at a, maybe a modified lifestyle, but maybe they should dust it off. You know, I, I would just encourage people to not give up, you know, like keep, keep working if that's what you want to do. But also, again, try to modify to what that horse can, can tolerate rather than just put them out there and have them not doing anything because usually having some sort of exercise is going to be much better than doing nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reach out to, I would encourage them to reach out to somebody like me. Like I, I am constantly posting videos on my Facebook trying to help people. Um, and, and that's one thing like I admire about Dr. Crosby is, right. you know, even people that are out of state that, you know, he can't perform veterinary services for, you know, he's still trying to advise those people. And he's still trying to help. Mm-hmm. 
there there are a lot of people out there that you know are are still very right. willing to help that are great at their skill set you know my my best advice is if you don't want to give up on that horse don't don't give up on the horse you know do do what you can within your means but at the same time uh, you know find a place to seek advice from thank you for being with me today, taking your time. I know it took us a while to connect. <laughs> yeah. Both very busy. And actually, I have to go out and bring horses in now. So I understand that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I will send you a message when this episode gets out there. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad to be a part of it. My name is Sharon Hirsch, and I got into horses when I was very, very young. I have photographs of me on a rocking horse when I was 18 months old. When we went to England to visit my grandmother, and I was 10, she decided that the best way for us to get to know the neighborhood kids was to take riding lessons. So I started in England riding ponies, and... That summer, we went from nothing to walk, trot, canter, and jumping cross rails. When I came back to this country, my American grandmother decided to give us lessons as well, and we wound up on big American lesson horses, walk, trot, which wasn't much fun. So my mother found a Western trail barn, so I did Western. Then we moved again and wound up at a hunter barn. We moved again, wound up at a dressage barn. So it just kept building, learning all sorts of different kinds. I also got my uh, assistant instructor's certificate and have worked full-time with horses occasionally. I managed a field hunter barn for a while, which also had a racetrack component, and we did steeplechasing and flat racing, and I managed an Appaloosa breeding farm in upstate New York. So my background is pretty varied. This podcast is about EPM, and I've had actually two horses with EPM. Uh, both of them contracted it quite young, but the, they were very different in what happened and how they reacted and where they could go. My first one was Ellie Genuine Elegance, who I bought at auction, and she was a three-year-old quarter horse. I had taken her to her first dressage show. She was champion young horse and then didn't want to get back onto the trailer, so that signaled that something was wrong. A couple of days later, she bucked me off for the first time in my life, and then two days after that, she bucked me off again, so I called my vet. And at that point, he diagnosed EPM. She went from winning dressage, intro dressage classes to not being able to trot in the space of about two weeks. This was really early in people knowing about EPM, so this is about 30 years ago. We put her on, at that point, the medication that was gooey syrup that you put on her feed, and she ate it up, which was fine. And we started out, from the beginning, walking. It took probably a year and a half to get her trot back. She would start trotting and then wind up pacing, which was really peculiar. And we'd stop and start the trot again. And it was almost two, two and a half years before we added Canter back in. And that took quite a while. She was so good about all of this. She just kept going. She, her attitude never changed. What we wound up finding out was that she had damage in her left 
no, her right hind leg, and uh, it was in the stifle. And we experimented around with a number of different things to try to to help her. And what we landed on was estrone shots, which loosen up the ligaments and tendons. So when she would start stiffening up on that hind leg, we'd give her an estrone shot. We started out by doing a loading dose of one a week for three weeks, and then it went to once a month. I can give shots, so what my vet would do would be give me like six doses of it, and I would use them when it seemed appropriate. Sometimes it would be once a month. Sometimes we'd go six months without having any problems. And she was on that maintenance pretty much her entire life. We did get to a point in her late teens when she really couldn't do the the trotting anymore, trotting or cantering anymore, and she became a really good walking trail horse. Unfortunately, she had been a nice little dressage horse and was good at hunter paces and really enjoyed doing that. Her arthritis in the hind leg got to a point where I couldn't ride her anymore, but I had long-lined her, and she. so we kept doing the long-lining so she didn't have to carry me, and she learned all sorts of tricks and in-hand things because she got bored if we didn't do something. And she lived to 22, I believe, and then she had a stroke. The second horse with EPM is the one that I have right now, whose name is Coraline, and she's a Connemara pony. She contracted EPM, I think, in the spring of her four-year-old year, and her reaction was totally different. She had little seizures. The barn manager called me at home and said, Coraline's having seizures. And so I raced out, and uh, she was. It was all, like, twitchy. Her head was twitching all over the place. She seemed perfectly happy. She didn't seem worried about it. Uh, My vet saw her the next morning. He decided it was EPM again, and we tested her, since the tests are less invasive these days. And, yes, she was positive for EPM. So we put her on the medication. She did a month of the expensive medication and then a month of the less expensive medication. And she hasn't had, really at this point, much specific damage. There is a little bit of reaction in her left hind leg. And we did, again, in the stifle. I'm not sure why the stifle is what was affected either time. But we injected her stifle once. But for the most part, it's been maintaining with acupuncture, which is something that my other vet did not have any experience with. And right now, she seems to be maintaining with virtually no problems. I am a bit careful about her, and canter is something we are working on because we hadn't cantered before she got sick. And, uh, She's now doing small jumps. We do really nice trot on contact because, again, I think she's going to be a nice little dressage horse. Cantering to the left is a little bit more of a question, but we are getting there. She will now strike off really nicely whenever I ask as opposed to bucking, (laughs) which is an advantage. At Doing a good circle is a little harder for her, but we are working on it. And I'm hoping this summer, COVID willing, I will take her to a dressage show and show her intro. She is seven now. Again, she's 
perfectly happy. She doesn't. Neither of the horses have seemed to have any mental reaction to the problems with their body. I just have to monitor what they're doing. So both horses, dressage was the main thing, although I do think cross-training with jumping a bit is good. And I may take Coraline to a two-phase or a three-phase just for fun if we get me back jumping properly because I'm out of practice from jumping because I couldn't, could not jump Ellie towards the end of her life, and I've had Coraline since she was three, and she's now seven, and so I'm having to relearn how to jump all over again. As far as how the EPM has affected my activity, I show less, obviously. I'm much more careful and listen to my horse really carefully. Since it's both of them have been hind-end, issues. I've become very aware of the feel, and sometimes I can feel something before you can see it. So the outcome, I guess, on both of them was positive. As far as advice, I would say don't give up on an EPM horse. Do monitor them. They are going to be a little more reactive. Each one is going to be totally different, although both of mine, the problem was in a hind stifle after the initial onset. they have been totally different as to how I've dealt with getting them back together. Ellie, it took quite a while to get her back to full function, but she did come back. It was over the course of three and a half, four years, but she came back and was a nice little show horse. The main problem was she was very hesitant about getting into a trailer because of the balance problems she's had that one time coming back from the dressage show, and she was always worried that something was going to happen in the trailer. So we had to work on that. Coraline has been on a trailer once with me to go on a go-away trail ride, and she happily hopped on, but not having done a lot of trailering, she fidgeted in the, the rig while we were standing still, but she seemed to ride okay. It was hard to monitor because it was in a big rig with five other horses. At some point, I will have to try loading her into my small rig and see how that works. Like I said, don't give up. Work with your vet. Work. Try experimental things. The Estrone was experimental when we did it with Ellie. Acupuncture is something I had no experience with, but it seems to have helped Coraline. We did, I think, three sessions of acupuncture, but we haven't done any in the last six months. If you can get them back, they tend to maintain. You just have to be aware of their body language. Coraline did have a couple of more slight seizure episodes, but nothing like the original onset one. Is very reactive to wind and to rain in her face. Whether that has anything to do with the EPM, I have no idea. She reacts to pollen in the air, which is probably not something to do with the EPM, but she is quite a reactive animal. I didn't have her long enough. I'd only had her for four months when she came down with the EPM, so I didn't have a real baseline to know how she reacted to everything. Horses. What are you doing, owner? Joey Beans. Hi. Hi, buddy. 
So that is a wrap for part three of the three-part EPM series. I want to thank you for joining us. I've tried to share it far and wide to people who don't normally listen to Endurance Horse Podcast, and I've already gotten some really good feedback for people who have had horses who've had EPM or people who weren't aware of it. And I think that we've accomplished what we wanted with this series to share stories from other horse owners who have sadly had to go through this. They all had very different outcomes. Some of the horses in our herd, for Junior, he's on a a supportive supplement called Sarstart that helps him and he seems to thrive on that. And Grace is on the Carbo Combo and she seems to be doing well with that. The thing with EPM I think that is so disheartening is that there are so many small symptoms that aren't known and there are these little warning signs. And so if I accomplished that with this series, that you know now that there are small warning signs, that it isn't just a drunken looking horse with a wobbly um, gait to it. It can be so many other things. It can show up in so many other ways. If you catch it early, um, just like Sharon talked about with her horse, with Caroline, and happy birthday, Caroline. I know you just had a birthday. If you can catch it early like that, you're going to have a usable life with your horse and you'll never have to get to the point where Jim and I were with Houdini saying goodbye on the barn floor.